African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama, and you're listening to us here on Channel Africa on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. As if you're listening to us via our shortwave service on the internet, it's on www.channelafrica.org. Well, today we're going to be looking at the chairmanship of the African Union, and uh, we know that uh, that has come with a lot of conversation so we'll find out what people think of Robert Mugabe being the new chairman of the African Union and we'll talk about the implications of that but right now let's get our news from Anne Musa. In the headlines, 13 people have been killed during an assault on Libya's Mabruk oilfield and Egyptian opposition party boycotts the upcoming parliamentary elections and the increased use of armoured vehicles in South Africa under the spotlight. Good morning. 13 people have been killed during an assault on Libya's Mabruk oilfield. The development comes as armoured militant factions affiliated with two rival governments in Libya fight for control of it. This year, nearly four years following the downfall of long-time ruler Muammar Gaddafi, work at the oilfield located south of the city of Sirt came to a halt in December after armed clashes su- shut down the Esseda oilport. Meanwhile, French oil giant Total, which jointly operates the Mabruk oilfield with the state-run National Oil Corporation, announced that it had earlier pulled out its staff from the facility. An Egyptian opposition party has boycotted the upcoming parliamentary elections. The Strong Egypt Party, led by former presidential candidate Abdel Munim Abul Futu, has cited the absence of a proper democratic atmosphere as a reason. Egypt will hold the parliamentary election in two phases, starting on March the 22nd to the 23rd. The second phase will be held on the 26th and 27th of April. 
The issue of Nigeria's Boko Haram insurgents attacking schools and abducting pupils has featured prominently at this year's Africa Conference on Education in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. One of the participants at the conference says Boko Haram is only active in one of the 37 states and that the government was fighting hard to dislodge them. Nigerian Union of Teachers Deputy Secretary General Mema Okomko explains how attacks by Boko Haram have affected learning in schools in the state. Boko Haram issue, you know it's not all over Nigeria. It's just a session of a state, but a new state. And the federal government has deployed so many military peoples, the soldiers, who at least ensure that uh, the insurgents, their activities are curtailed to a minimum uh, level. At least every month we have a general meeting whereby all the states' leadership representatives to have a meeting. And in each time, we always bring up that issue. If the t- children do not come to school, education system is gone. Six peacekeepers of the UN mission in Côte d'Ivoire, Onusi, have died in a road accident. Onusi says the accident occurred on the motorway between the capital Yamasukro and the commercial hub Abidjan on Tuesday. Deputy spokesperson for Onusi in Abidjan, Rosamond Bakari. Six soldiers had left Yamasukro and were on their way to a mission in Abidjan when one of the tires of their vehicle burst, causing it to veer off the road. Their deaths bring to 92 the number of peacekeepers who died since Onusi was deployed in April 2004. And finally, independent defense analyst Helmut Hetman says armored vehicles can be used by law enforcement officials. He was reacting to the increased use of armored vehicles in South Africa, not only for high security vehicles, but also by private citizens who feel the need for extra protection. The technology involves the manufacture and fitment of special plates under the shell of the vehicle, which is resistant to high-power projectiles. Recapping the top story, 13 people have been killed during an assault on Libya's Mabruk Wellfield. An Egyptian opposition party boycotts the upcoming parliamentary elections and the increased use of armoured vehicles in South Africa under the spotlight. Thank you to Anne Musa for that news update. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and uh, you are listening to us on uh, your website. You're listening to us on uh, uh, www.channelafrica.org. If you listen to us on our shortwave service, it's on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Well, today we're focusing on uh, President Robert Mugabe as the new African Union chair. This week, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe started his work as the African Union chair at the organization's headquarters in Addis Ababa. On Tuesday, the controversial African leader was in a meeting with the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa Executive Secretary Dr. Carlos Lopez to look at the new agenda of the AU, which is the Agenda 2063 Program of Action. So we know that uh, the man is busy already. Uh, Despite criticism from civil society, especially in the West, uh, against Mugabe leading the AU, the European Union has also decided to lift the travel ban on uh, uh, Mugabe. 
Mugabe during his term as the new leader of the African Union. Now, before we speak to our guests who are already on the line, we are going to listen to this particular interview that was uh, held during the recent AU uh, Heads of State Summit and uh, Channel Africa's Fazdo Hall spoke to the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Zimbabwe, the Honorable Samuel uh, Mumbengwengui, who is uh, speaking here about the chairmanship of uh, President Mugabe. And this is how he responded to the decision by the African Union. Well, I must say that uh, as Zimbabwe, we feel greatly honored. We feel that uh, President Mugabe has been greatly honored by his colleagues, first in the Southern Africa region and second in the entire African continent. As you know, the chair of the African Union rotates every year from region to region. It was now the turn of Southern Africa to take the chair. And we are extremely humbled that the Southern Africa region strongly supported that President Mugabe takes the chair of the African Union for this year. And of course, one of our strongest and most consistent supporters of the Republic of South Africa. Uh, Mr. Minister, and now that he takes uh, the chairmanship of the African Union, what is going to be his priority with regard to the Development Agenda 2063? Yes, as you know, the African Union during this summit has adopted the blueprint document Agenda 2063 and very soon the 10-year implementation plan will be concluded because Agenda 63 will be presented in five 10-year plans. And this will be the first year of the implementation of that plan. And obviously, uh, the African Union would want to start on a number of uh, projects and programs uh, to implement this plan, which is anchored uh, in the question of industrialization. That was the uh, Zimbabwe's uh, Foreign uh, Affairs Minister there, the Honorable Samuel Mumbengegui, who was uh, speaking to Channel Africa's Fazda Hall, really there about the chairmanship of uh, President Mugabe. On the line, we have uh, Piers Pigou, who is uh, the Christ International Crisis Group Southern Africa Project uh, Director. Also, we have uh, Dirk Kutze, who is uh, the Professor in Political Sciences at the University of South Africa. Now, I'm going to start start with you, Piers, in terms of uh, what's happening here. I mean, there's an element here of this chairmanship being a mere formality. Uh, some are saying that it doesn't represent much, but what is happening here is just the fact that the chair is rotating from region to region. Is this chairmanship something to be taken seriously, Piers? Uh, uh, good morning uh, uh, and good morning to the listeners, and thanks for the opportunity to engage in, in, in this discussion. Uh, Certainly the, the, the chairperson uh, of the African Union is a ceremonial head of the African Union and as, as has been pointed out, it's, it's part of a rotational uh, process. Uh, 
It's not unimportant, uh, obviously, as the utterances of the chairperson help to profile the priorities of uh, the organisation for the year of incumbency. But uh, it really isn't uh, that important in relation to the actual uh, physical nuts and bolts work of, of the African Union itself. Uh, and I think it's in the symbolism and the politics around the symbolism uh, that uh, much of the debate over the last few days has taken place. Uh, given uh, the position of Mr. Mugabe in the past and uh, him being seen as more of a divisive than a unitary character, uh, both internationally uh, and indeed on the continent, there mm. is a tendency to translate uh, his elevation to this position as a reflection of pan-African solidarity. But a point that I have pointed out to a number of people in the last few days is how many countries on the continent uh, have actively emulated the politics and economic policies of the Republic of Zimbabwe. Mm. Mm. Now, let's bring uh, uh, Professor Dirk Kutzia into the conversation. Uh, Professor, thank you for joining us here on the line. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Your views, uh, Professor, in terms of uh, the seriousness of this chairmanship, is it something that we should take seriously or is it just a mere formality, as some people are saying, that we shouldn't be so dramatic about it? Well, it's a little bit of both, you know, um, because on the one hand, the chairperson of, of, the, of the summit uh, of, the, uh, of the assembly um, is like the leader amongst the, the heads of state and government, um, while on the other hand, um, as you guest indicated, I think the the real work is being by the African Union is being done within its commission, um, led by Dr. Dlamini Zuma. Mm. So to some extent, there's sort of two focus areas within the African Union. The one is the summit or the of, of heads of state and leaders, and the other one is the commission. Um, Together with, obviously, the principle of rotation, now President uh, Mugabe has already been appointed in May last year as the first deputy chair of the African Union's Executive Council. So that gave us a very good indication that he was in the pipeline to be in this position. Um, and therefore, now also the fact that he is now the SADC uh, uh, chairperson contributed now even more to... Um, his position uh, or his election. Um, it is in, uh, indicative of that the fact that there are some decisions that play a role for the fact that, for example, Equatorial Guinea, what, when it was their turn to take the position of chairperson because of the internal problems Equatorial Guinea, they had to yeah. refrain from doing it and uh, South Africa took it over. So there are some times when there's real serious situations, there can be an intervention to intervene in this rotational principle. Uh, President Mugabe Another point to maybe to keep in mind is that um, President Mugabe served as the chairperson of the AU uh, more than 15 years ago from the last time in 1997 to 1998. Mm. And that was before the controversial land policy in, in Zimbabwe emerged. So, yes, there are some considerations, but I think the traditional principle is still the, the paramount one. Mm. Staying with you, Professor Dirk Kutsia, before I move back to Piers Pegu, the persona of Robert Mugabe has been demonized by Western media and also civil society has critiqued his style of leadership, especially with his uh, ideas of land reform. Do you think the, the choice of Robert Mugabe shows a certain type of support from the African community of his governance style? 
I'm not exactly sure that we should treat it like that. Mm. I mean, we all know that there has been a, a democratization process taking place in Zimbabwe. There was the, the global political agreement, uh, the intervention by SADC in order to, to change the constitution, the latest uh, election to which President Mugabe won. And most of the world, except for the European Union and the U.S., actually accepted it. So there was a process which, in a sense, legitimized this position. And for, from an African Union's perspective, it's almost impossible not to question President Mugabe's status as the head of state um, in Zimbabwe. So he, he met all the, the constitutional requirements from Zimbabwe's domestic point of view to be regarded as a constitutionally elected pre uh, president. Um, and therefore, you know, the African Union cannot use any argument uh, from keeping him away from this position. Mm. Piers, coming back to you, uh, Professor is highlighting some essential uh, views there in terms of the uh, democratization process that's taking place in Zimbabwe. But the history of Zimbabwe as a country, we've seen some infringements of human rights abuses as well there. And we've also seen just in terms of uh, the issues in the country there, in terms of what's happening locally, we have seen some unsettling issues that are taking place in, in, in the country in terms of transparency when it comes to the media. And also there's just various areas Areas. We can speak about this land reform issue and how that took place in itself. Uh, what does that represent for us when we look at this leadership? Because definitely there is a discrepancy here. Uh, yes, I, I, I think you're correct that uh, there are a number of challenges that remain that relate to the uh, points that formed the basis for for uh, a break with the relations with the West, for example. I mean, a number of civil and political uh, violations and concerns that haven't been remedied or addressed, an enormous uh, array of reform deficits from the period of the inclusive government. Professor Katsir is absolutely correct that the endorsement by the African Union and uh, the regional bodies of the elections last year, uh, with some caveats about the problems in the process, mm. uh, have uh, uh, provided a veneer of legitimacy for the ZANU-PF administration. Uh, however, that has not provided an adequate and sustainable base from wh for which the country uh, uh, needs to be able to, to build a sustainable recovery. Uh, and we see a profound economic a uh, set of economic indicators uh, that show that Zimbabwe remains in deep trouble. Uh, and that uh, this is uh, compounded by a frailty in the body politic, as uh, Zimbabwean politics has been ruptured both in terms of uh, internal opposition fragmentation, but more significantly in terms of the major ruptures inside the ruling party itself that we saw in the lead-up and uh, in the post uh, in the period following the December Congress itself, and and the ripples of that uh, have still have still not. Settled. But what we do see in this in this post-election context, which I think is interesting, is a shift from uh, the West away from the politics of isolation and ostracism, recognizing that the, the, these policies have not uh, moved Zimbabwe towards uh, uh, democratization uh, and a politics of constructive engagement uh, with Zimbabwe, which uh, will continue uh, to, to, to occur, although we are likely to 
see this full rapprochement with Mr. Mugabe still at the helm. But the opportunities for convergence in the international community between those positions, the position of yeah. the region, and indeed the position of countries such as China, uh, uh, provides some hope uh, for moving forward. But, of course, the, the, the real test is going to be on the consistency of the policies that are being pursued by uh, the, the government at the moment. And there are some profound concerns that this is not happening. Hmm. Well, we're going to take a little break and we're going to continue with this uh, discussion. In terms of Robert Mugabe, we know he has a very uh, big uh, uh, conversation when it comes to pan-African ideals. And I remember just uh, years back uh, him saying to Tony Blair, you keep your England and I'll keep my Zimbabwe. And uh, in terms of his pan-African ideals that he's expressed in terms of uh, that African independence, do we think that he will maintain this particular mantra? We'll continue with Dekutsia, who is the professor in political sciences at the University of South Africa, explore some of these themes with him. And also on the line, we have Pierre Spigou, who is from the International Crisis Group, and he is the Crisis Group's uh, Southern Africa Project Director. We'll continue after this break. This message is meant for a listener in South Africa. Hi, I'm Kosazana Zamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, We are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments, and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola, you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS Stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency to Stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org. With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you. You are listening to African Dialogue. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Today, we're looking at the African Union and the chairmanship of uh, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe and what are the implications of uh, this particular leadership. We know that uh, uh, the AU is in a new era now looking at a futuristic uh, program of action, which is now titled the Agenda 2063, projecting into 
into the future of uh, the continent. And right now we see that now the Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe is the chair of the African Union. What does that mean for our continent? Uh, uh, before the break, I was highlighting President Mugabe always expressing pan-African ideals and always has this mantra of expressing independence from the West in many of his speeches. Now, uh, coming to you, Pierce, do you think that this mantra will be re-emphasized during his term as leader of the AU? I think there's an expectation that it will be, uh, that Mr. Mugabe has a particular modus operandi uh, in terms of a somewhat backward-looking and some might argue anachronistic style of political engagement, and that we're unlikely to see a progressive, forward-looking and constructive engagement which seeks to uh, perhaps reconfigure relations with the West in a more innovative and constructive way. It's going to be interesting, of course, in relation to the announcement by the African Union, sorry, by the European Union, in relation to the lifting of the travel ban in Mm. connection with AU activities, uh, whether he will try and make a noise uh, if uh, he tries to bring Mrs. Mugabe uh, on these trips with him and they refuse uh, her a visa. We had the incident last year in relation to the summit in Paris, which he refused to go to. But it is a very different set of of, of conditions now as chair, uh, as opposed to being invited as an individual mm. president. And it would be, I wonder uh, whether Mr. Mugabe would be prepared to use that issue as a test of solidarity amongst his peers. Uh, I'm not sure that would be particularly wise. But on the other hand, the European Union needs to be awake Uh, to how the continent responds to these issues because it certainly doesn't want to make the issue of whether Mr. and Mrs. Mugabe can travel uh, to Europe uh, an issue that would uh, 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 lead to further divisions Mm. between the EU and the African Union. Uh, So uh, this, this year presents Mr. Mugabe with an opportunity uh, to to show some uh, statesmanship uh, that moves beyond the kind of rote uh, uh, approaches that we've seen in the past. But I have to say, in terms of the people that I've been speaking to in the last week, uh, the expectations aren't very high uh, that he will be taking that uh, that particular route. Mm. And Professor Dirk, could see your views in terms of uh, the ideologies that uh, uh, President Robert Mugabe has expressed over the years, especially when it comes to the West. He's been very, very much uh, strong in terms of his ideas of African independence. No, for, for sure, and I, I think that that will still continue. But like we start as we dis, uh, started this discussion, you know, we explained or discussed the, the position of the chairman, chairperson, and that, that it is not a, a one-man show. You know, the African Union's leadership, but it, it's a much more complex and collective one. So because especially of the relationship between the African Union and its dependence on funding, for example, by, by the European Union, but also other other countries, uh, even the, the call for the renewal of AGOA um, as, as a support base or as a developmental um, instrument in the relationship between African countries and the U.S., all those emphases really work down, downscale the, the, the sort of the level of rhetoric of President Mugabe. Yes, he will still emphasize the need for African independence from or a new decolonial or new colonial way of thinking. Um, but at the same time, the realities of the inter, inter or the bilateral and multilateral relations of the African Union with other other groups within the international community will 
sort of qualify the way in which he can articulate it. And I think what we also have to say in terms of pan-Africanism versus, you know, this idea of African independence or, or post-independence is, is that the two are not necessarily synonymous. Mm. Um, the, the idea of pan-Africanism, it seems to me, is much more nowadays focused on the, the five or six different regions in Africa. Um, and the success of regional cooperation and hopefully even integration and the role of SADC and ECOWAS and Maghreb Union and the East African community and yeah. others in order to be successful. So I think the emphasis has moved away from an overall continental approach to pan-Africanism to rather more su successes at the regional level, which will then form the basis or the pillars for a more continental approach. So I think this... President Mugabe will have to work within that context. Um, something else which I think is also important to consider is that the President Mugabe is obviously from the south, um, mm. from southern Africa, and there are many sentiments on the continent who is working against the idea that the south is leading or dominant, mm. especially if we think about West Africa. They will insist that President Mugabe is not too dominant in the, in the sort of articulating the views of, of the continent as a whole. Mm. Um, and that will, they will certainly downscale his prominence to some extent. Mm. And also, just to pick your brain as well, uh, Professor De Kutsia, on uh, the issue that uh, Pierre Spigou was highlighting on uh, the lifting of this uh, uh, travel ban by the European Union. What are your views on that? Well, it's, it's obviously for, it's a pragmatic decision. Um, it, I don't think it's a change in um, in their basic approach or policy. Um, they also make now there's more and more of a distinction between some individuals within the Zimbabwean government, uh, which they still regard as part of the old regime, versus the new, newly established or new constitutionally based um, Zimbabwean government. Um, and I think this is, this is an approach that over time will become very difficult to enforce. Um, and it is I mean, one has to be honest, is sort of targeted at the Mugabe family, and it's not much more than that. Mm -hmm. um, so it is very often seen by, by many, and the international community in general, I think, as sort of personally based, and not so much an, an approach to Zimbabwe as, as such, as a country or as, as a state, um, which to some extent some people will say, well, this is, you know, it is, it's, it's sort of double standards that's being used, um, and it doesn't deal with the country as a whole. So I, I think over time, and the fact that there's all the indications that President Mugabe has, has, has come very much towards the end of his reign in Zimbabwe, there's already a, his successor has effectively been identified now already, um, that the impact of that over time will subside. Mm. And also, just... Uh paving the way forward in terms of looking at where the African Union is right now and also just the agenda of the African Union. It's been criticized uh, very recently with issues such as the late response to the Ebola crisis and also just uh, the, the battling with uh, uh, the conflicts on the continent with terrorism groups. It seems like uh, the African Union is at a point where it really needs uh, a voice to actually uh, reassert some type of confidence in it. And uh, uh, right now, Pierce, coming back to you, do you think that uh, this chairmanship re-injects the citizens' uh, confidence in the African Union, which sometimes can be seen as uh, very uh, far away from the ordinary African citizen? Yes, I, I think, Benjamin, you, you highlight an important point that there is a disconnect, a chasm between the realities of ordinary citizens on the continent and what takes
takes place in Addis Ababa. Uh, in fact, even understanding the mechanics and the infrastructure of the African Union is something which is uh, really only in the purview of a very small uh, elite at a political and civil society level. Uh, so, you know, but we are very much at the beginning of, of processes to develop citizen uh, uh, awareness and participation uh, in terms of civil society engagement. And, and mm-hmm. I, know I was at a talk yesterday by... Uh, the international relations advisor, Eddie Moloko, who highlighted the uh, importance of building civil society mm. uh, uh, interaction uh, at the AU level. Mm. There is a broader concern, of course, that while the African Union and its predecessors, the OAU, were adept at developing uh, uh, highfalutin and perhaps uh, uh, well-intentioned and well-principled plans of action and declarations. Uh, the devil was in the detail, and of course, very much in terms of the uh, deficit around implementation of the commitments made by uh, African nations. Of course, at the heart of this is a major problem of dependency that the African Union still has on external funding to run its operations. Uh, And uh, while there is a commitment uh, from the recent summit to address that issue, and and, and I should point out that President Mugabe made a similar point uh, during his inaugural speech uh, at the Victoria Falls when Mm. he became uh, the head of SADC mm. uh, as well, uh, that, the, that you know, Africa's independence uh, must be demonstrated certainly by uh, the, the uh, sustainability of its institutions by its own member states. And until we see a significant shift in this direction, and it's important to remember that there are five countries mm. effectively carrying the African Union at the moment. Uh, now, I understand this has been extended to six, uh, with Angola coming to the table, but now they are trying to, they're, they're expecting to carry even more with those six countries, and, and a couple of those countries somewhat compromised at the moment in terms of their ability to pay, like Libya. So, so you know, there is a huge travel, there's a huge uh, journey still to be made yeah. uh, uh, in the journey here. So, uh, uh, while it's important to espouse rhetorical objectives, Uh, about independence and so forth, we also have to live in the real world. And that means the development of creative partnerships Mm. uh, with both uh, countries in the East and the West if we are to maximize the opportunities uh, to deal with the array of uh, security and human security challenges that face the continent. Mm. Professor Terkutse, your your sentiments there, what are your views in that regard? Yes, no, I, I fully agree with that. I, I think this is, to a large extent, uh, this maybe to come back to your the original part of your question, I think one of the weaknesses of the African Union and the old OAU is that its members are only states. So the main emphasis is on the work that's being done by the, at the summit level. That's what mostly is reported in the media. But what, for example, is being done at the level of the Commission is hardly being reported about. Um, mm. And lots of initiatives are taking place. For example, at this summit, they've uh, taken decisions about the establishment of an African Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Mm. Uh, there's a high-level African Trade Committee that's engaged in, in talks um, on the World Trade Organization talks that's taking place. And on the, on the climate summit, uh, uh, about the reform of the United Nations. So there are many initiatives taking place. I think one of the weaknesses of the African Union 
is how to communicate it. It's not part of the lives of ordinary citizens of, of most African countries that they are very well informed. Mm. Now, here in South Africa is, for example, the Pan-African Parliament. Mm. I don't think many South Africans even know of the existence of the Pan-African Parliament in South Africa mm. and its activities. So I think that's one of the real weaknesses. And because there's not sort of an entry point for civil society in that. Now, when, for example, the Agenda 2063 was discussed, and the idea was is that it, all the member states should go back to their own um, populations, their own citizens, and they have consultation meetings. Now, here in South Africa, there were quite a number of consultation meetings. I participated in one of them. Mm. Um, and it, it was very clear is that um, this is one of the weaknesses of the, the, way, the way in which the, the AU is structured. It is, it's mainly political, it's mainly through diplomatic channels uh, of that the member states interact with the African Union, but it, it doesn't have really an entry point for civil society in general. The ECOSOC, the council there, which is supposed to be more of a social dimension, is very inactive. Mm. Um, so in, in that sense, again, there is not that connect between ordinary persons, citizens of countries, and the African Union. And I think that, that's the, the downside of it to a large extent, and why there is the disconnect between the leadership or the, you can even say, the African Union elite mm. versus the, the persons in the different member states. Mm. Well, we're going to wrap up the conversation after this short break. And uh, uh, Professor Dirk Kutze highlighted something I want to move on to, uh, the Agenda 2063. It's still a bit of an aloof idea for me. It's kind of um, a mystical right now, this Agenda 2063. Uh, the presidency of uh, uh, Robert Mugabe comes at this uh, crucial time. It's only for a year uh, to the African Union. Uh, and the AU is taking uh, a futuristic uh, uh, path on looking on how we can project the future of uh, uh, the continent. But uh, his president comes at this time. How crucial is this and uh, his role in this in, in this particular year to make sure that, uh, I know it's, it's a collective, but how does he manage that collective to see this thing unfold? We'll deal with those uh, issues after this break. Hi, I'm Kwasosa Nadlamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. We are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, uh, the voice of the African Renaissance. And, yeah, we were, we were speaking about the African Union, as you heard there, the AU uh, uh, Commission Chair, Nkosazana Zamini Zuma, letting you know that you are listening to Channel Africa. Remember, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us uh, via your radio set, if you're listening to us online, it's on www.channelafrica.org. We're about to wrap up the conversation with the 
Pierce Pigou, who is from the International Crisis Group. He's the Crisis Group Southern Africa Project Director. We also have Professor Dirk Kutse, who is uh, the Professor in Political Sciences at the University of South Africa. Pierce, let me come back to you as we wrap it up. Yes, this presidency of uh, or the chairmanship of uh, the AU comes at a crucial time when the AU is taking on this new agenda with its program of Agenda 2063. How crucial is this year, and uh, especially looking at uh, this chairmanship of Robert Mugabe? Well, uh, I, I think it's not necessarily appropriate to tie the prospects of Agenda 2063 to the incumbency of President Mugabe. I think we should try and look at uh, uh, Agenda 2063 as it relates to the latest effort to provide a more strategic perspective on what the continent needs to achieve with a 50-year forward-looking plan. Then sort of working in terms of what those objectives are, then working back uh, 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 from what those objectives are and uh, trying to put a framework together uh, that will practically uh, provide some measure of implementation that will be able to be measured and monitored towards those strategic objectives. And we see that uh, a framework has been adopted with a 10-year action plan. Uh, so there's a significant shift at one level from the previous efforts by the OAU uh, and, uh, uh, and, and the African Union, as we saw uh, in, in, in previous plans of action, you know, in the 80s, the Lagos plan of action, in the 90s, the Abuja Treaty, and then, of course, the CERT Declaration in 1999, which uh, pre- uh, pre- uh, preceded the, the, the establishment of the African Union. So, so this is a, this is a, a different approach. Uh, but, of course, the context around uh, constrained resources and capacities uh, of, uh, ar- uh, particularly around issues of implementation, uh, remain pressing. Uh, but I think it, 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 you know, there is an opportunity for a much more realistic framework in the context of uh, a- Agenda 2063. But having said that, I mean, it is an extremely ambitious uh, uh, document, and, and, and that in itself is not a negative, of course. Uh, but uh, we need to be constantly reviewing and checking what is feasible, what is practical uh, in, in the context of the framework mm, mm. and the components of the, uh, of the framework that have been adopted. Mm. Uh, Professor Dirkutia, let's end this conversation with you. Your views in terms of uh, uh, this uh, new Agenda 2063. I asked this because this week uh, on Tuesday, Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe was already meeting with the United Nations Economic Commission to speak about the new agenda. Uh, your views there? Yes, well, as I indicated, I was myself involved in it, um, and I think based on that, the the way in which it emerged is is that the Agenda 2063 is to a large extent, I would say, a statement of intent by the members of the African Union, uh, but while they want to see the way ahead for the African Union and the the continent as a whole. So I don't want to call it specifically a wish list, but it is of saying... Uh, more emphasizing values, for example, the promotion of human rights, of good governance, of democratization, of of good um, free and fair elections. The pan-African idea is emphasized, the idea of economic uh, growth as, as and that the integration of Africa into the, the global economy. These are sort of the, the main characteristics of, of it. Um, and I think that is that provides a framework, but... Um, I would put this emphasis 
in terms of the over the long term implementation of it more at the level of the African Union Commission, which is involved in more the direct projects that uh, mm. that is implementing these these ideals or, or values than for example the summits um, mm. or the role of the heads of state like President Mugabe because there's, there's so much of a rotation on an annual basis that there is not the same type of continuity mm. that the Commission can provide. So my emphasis will be much more on the work of the Commission than that of the summit or the or the assembly of heads of state. Mm. Well, thank you to Professor Dirk Kutze, who is the Professor in Political Sciences at the University of South Africa. also want to thank Pierre Spigou, who is from the International Crisis Group, and he is the Southern Africa Project Director. Thank you both for giving us your views on uh, this uh, new development in terms of the African Union. Thank you both for joining us here on the program. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you very much. Fantastic. That's how we wrap it up. Let's have a little bit of music to end uh, this uh, particular conversation. Here's Bob Marley. This one's titled Africa Unite. Africa Unite. That is uh, the legendary Bob Marley speaking about our beautiful continent. Hey, let's come together there. Let's move on now and get our business news. Uh, we have Wisani Matsebula standing by.
Thanks, Benjamin. Good morning. We're starting off in Nigeria, where the country has more than half capital expenditure to less than 10% of 2015 spending, exiting badly needed infrastructure investment due to the collapse in the price of oil. Even though Nigeria's capital spending seldom materializes as planned, shelving projects such as port upgrades and roads will only perpetuate the inefficiencies that have plugged Africa's most populous nation and the biggest economy for decades. North Africa now, Libya has started tapping into its strategic wheat reserves to ensure bread supplies and overcome what it calls a flower crisis. The internationally recognized government works from the east of the country, having fled the capital, Tripoli, where a group called Libya Dawn has seized control and backs a rival government not recognized by world powers. Fighting between armed groups loyal to each side has disrupted oil exports as well as imports of goods by road and ships. And South Africa's Barocca Platinum has offered $263 million to buy Anglo-American Platinum stake in Bukoni Mine in Limpopo Province. Barocca Platinum, part of the Barocca Tribal Mining Houses, founded, uh, founded to help the impoverished Hangkwane community, aims to take advantage of a sector shake-up as a company's sell-off underperforming assets and labor-intensive shafts to improve profitability. This comes after last year's five-month minor strike. Amplet owns 49% stake of the Bukoni mine, with the rest owned by its joint venture partner, Atlas Resources. Still in South Africa, the National Energy Regulator has given power utility ESCOM the go-ahead to charge consumers more for power. This in a bid to recoup extra diesel costs it has incurred while running gas turbines to cope with electricity demand. ESCOM is battling to meet demand and is relying heavily on diesel-powered turbines to keep the lights on. Generating capacity has been compromised due to technical faults at power plants leading to irregular power cuts. NERSA says it's still calculating the exact amount on the increase. Cote d'Ivoire will reassign the concession to build and operate a 3.7-hectare commercial district adjacent to the country's main airport after cancelling an agreement with ARIA, which is the airport's operator. ARIA has operated Felix Hofobonier's International Airport in the commercial capital Abidjan since 1996 and will continue to do so. Let's look at the markets. Uh, the dollar at 11.40, South African rands 9.37, Botswana Pulas and 6.49, Zambian Kwachas also at 0.65 to the British pound and 0.87 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,271, platinum $1,237 a fine ounce. Brent crude oil has gone up now to $54.63 per barrel. That's how it's looking. This It's 10 to 12 Central African time. It's time now to get our sports from Musibudi Makura. Good day, sports fans. 
And starting off with football news, Scott d'Ivoire cruised the final of the Africa Cup of Nations tournament after they thumped the Democratic Republic of Congo 3-1 in the first semi-final at Estadio de Bata in Equatorial Guinea on Wednesday night. And even though it was a four-goals thriller, the game got off to a slow start and it was Yaya Torres' sensational goal in the 21st minute that would set the tone. And three minutes later, Mbokani equalized for the DRC via penalty kick after Eric Bailey was adjudged to have handled the ball inside the box, but the Avoyans would retaliate with goals from Givino and Wilfred Ganon as they put the game beyond the DRC's reach. But somehow, Côte d'Ivoire head coach Harvey Renard was not impressed with how the team played. Yes, to be fair with you, uh, I didn't like this game. I think we didn't do uh, all the things very well. We were sometimes uh, too easy. Maybe we didn't respect sometimes uh, the opponent. I always said this team came back from behind uh, against uh, Congo Brazzaville, so maybe the players are, are not listening, but uh, you have always to be careful when you have a player like uh, DRC in front of you. So, And we were able to make the difference uh, a long time before. So, okay, the, we are in the final. This is the most important because, you know, after five games, sometimes the team are tired. So the most important is to reach the final and uh, to congratulate Congo DRC for their tournament. We were in the same group stage, uh, it was very tough. So congratulations to them and uh, we'll try to bring the, the cup in uh, Abidjan. This is the most important. And just before the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations host, Equatorial Guinea faced Ghana in the second fa- semi-final at Estadio de Malabo tonight. The head coach, Esbain Becker, was still facing questions about the controversial win over Tunisia in the quarterfinals last weekend. The Central African country was awarded a controversial penalty deep into injury time. They managed to equalize and went on to defeat Tunisia by two goals to one, while the well-taken free kick in extra time by their star player, Javier Balboa. Becker is laughing at allegations that his team is being favoured in this competition through dubious match officiating. How do you feel about comments that were being favoured when you have 90 minutes in a 7,000 square metre pitch? It must have a difference between a strong and a weak team. In this case, the weak is being stronger than the strong team. I would like to say that there's no external help these boys have been fighting like lions, and that's why they win, and that's why they don't lose. Meanwhile, it's looking more likely that Ghana will go into tonight's game against Equatorial Guinea at Estadio de Malabo without their captain and star striker Asamoa Gian. After the Guinea goalkeeper Nabi Atare deliberately kicked him on Sunday during the Black Stars' 3-0 win at the quarterfinals, Gian was thrown at a hospital in Mongomo where further tests have been made. Despite being without the Black Stars' all-time leading goal scorer with 46 goals, English-born striker Kwesi Apia admits that his team is hurt by Gian's injury, but they are ready to go to war. Um, I'm not sure how accurate that is. Um, I'm not sure all the details about the injury, but um, once we get the information, we'll assess the situation from then on. Um, obviously, the, the team is 23 men, so everybody's prepared to step up to the plate when needed. Uh, the vibe is, is, I mean, about the injury, obviously, it's a bit disheartening, but we don't know the exact extent of it so once we know that we'll take it from there 
On to local football news. Next week, the South African Premier Soccer League will resume after the AFCON tournament and the pressure is piling up on as long leaders Kaiser Chiefs. Their coach, Stuart Baxter, says he's aware that Kaiser Chiefs have a target on their backs given their unbeaten status and position at the top of the log. Chiefs are at the top of the log with 46 points and their next match is on the 11th of February when they take on Bluefontein Celtic at the Free State Stadium. Following cricket news, Cricket South Africa has confirmed former Australian batsman Michael Hussey will work with South Africa on a consultancy role during the Cricket World Cup. Cricket Australia says that Hussey's manager had confirmed the 2007 World Cup winner will attend some of the protest training sessions and give advice to the team on how to play in Australian conditions. South African coach Russell Domingo had earlier announced that the appointment saying that they had some discussions with Michael Hussey about him joining the protest on a consultancy process. Well, those are your sports news. Add to the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us today. We were looking at uh, the AU uh, new chair, uh, President Robert Mugabe. Very interesting conversation we had with our experts earlier. What are your views? Remember, you can interact with us via SMS. Tell us what you think of our program by SMSing us on plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three. Three to five nine zero five, or you can find us on Twitter at Channel Africa One, or find us at African Dialogue. Let's end the program with the proverb of the day. This one is an Ashanti proverb. It states: One falsehood spoils a thousand truths. One falsehood spoils a thousand truths. That's an Ashanti proverb. That's how we end the program. We won't be with you tomorrow since it's Friday. We'll be back with you on Monday. But thank you for joining us on African Dialogue.